days ago, somebody relatively prominent said, uh, Bitcoin is bigger than the internet, bigger than the industrial revolution. Was that Tim Draper? And it's exactly what's happening with Bitcoin. Bitcoin possesses all the attributes, not only of good money, but of supremely good money. But of course, it's not financial advice. Hey guys, welcome to a new podcast of non-financial advice. This time I'm here with our researcher Max. You've probably read his reports on derivatives and on options. Especially the one on Dopex was quite spicy. But this time we're going further than just option trading and we're going to talk about portfolio management strategies with uh, friction. And Max, I'm sure you uh, have a lot to, to talk about this. So I wonder if you could like give an overview on why you have been so interested in this topic and yeah, why it's on your uh, radar. Yeah, I've been researching derivatives in DeFi in general for the last few months as part of the series. DeFi has the ability to kind of stack money Legos on top of each other and it can create a lot of efficiencies that you can't get anywhere else and definitely not in traditional finance. So that is where the most potential lies for me in derivatives. And uh, Friction is one of those potential money Legos who we're bringing on today. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you, uh, Udav. Like, you've been working on Friction for quite some time and has been picking up steam recently. So maybe to start, give like a quick introduction about yourself and why you decided to work on Friction. Because it's always uh, nice to hear those stories. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, really look forward to, to this conversation, kind of about portfolio management and what Friction is. Um, first in context, my name is Udav. I'm one of the co-founders of Friction, alongside Alex, my co-founder and CTO, who runs things on the contract development side. Um, we decided to build Friction because of our, our background in traditional finance and, and our keenness to, to get into DeFi. Through DeFi Summer, we were pretty involved and we noticed that there were strategies um, that were just missing from the suite of products that you may want to use as a, as a trader or an investor um, in the DeFi space that would provide you risk management. And by this, what we mean is generally most strategies in DeFi, uh, whether it's providing liquidity to an AMM or lending in a market are either driven by leverage or volatility. And a lot of strategies don't exist out there to, to take advantage of really taking the other side of some of these trades or even kind of building out an entire marketplace of portfolio strategies, right? And, and this means we want to have a product for a user that can sit everywhere on what we think about as DeFi's efficient frontier. So really on a risk versus reward basis, we want to have the best deal generation strategies that sit everywhere on this, this spectrum. And, and that's a big reason we want to build friction. Yeah, one of the like topics you hear a lot about when you talk about portfolio management these days is sustainable yield. Like we have seen a lot of uh, people kind of look, you know, like a bit depressed about like liquidity mining because the yield is not really sustainable and i think friction is also really focusing on that part of it right like offering yield that can uh, last longer than you know like a few months like we've seen with some of these emissions from DeFi protocols yeah i totally agree i mean right now if you, if you zoom back and think about DeFi at a high level like there's there's really like five four or five maybe even six places six forms of yield generation so there's, there's lending and borrowing, there's liquidity provisioning, like you were talking about, where you provide two tokens into an AMM, usually constant product, and it, it creates a reserve. And then that reserve balances the pool to allow anyone to borrow or lend or, or to borrow from the pool or to trade against the pool. Uh, then there's staking, which is um, often in the form of validating for a network uh, and earning some, some base yield for that. Uh, there's derivatives arbitrage, 
which uh, generally are, are taking advantage of mispricings between two locations, whether it's um, between DEXs or between just spot futures and perps. And then there's um, options overriding or volatility, uh, which, which really seeks to take advantage of kind of the natural pricing and the natural movement of pricing within any asset. And kind of this, the, the order in which I explain them is kind of the order of uh, sustainability, I tend to think. So a lot of these markets, when they take a billion, 10 billion, 20 billion of, of capital into it, these strategies tend to either uh, significantly degrade in performance or they just can't perform at all. So we think that volatility is, and the reason we started with volatility uh, or with the simple override strategies was because the volatility market in DeFi is, is about to explode. And I think we're seeing some really early signs of that right now. Yeah, and to zoom out a little bit, you mentioned you started in uh, DeFi summer, but you're not building on Ethereum or an L2. So I wonder what has made you shift to Solana at some point? Because at the time you started, everything was yeah. happening on Ethereum. Yeah, this is a great question. So well, we actually started building Friction in like October um, of this year, and then we launched on Mainnet in December. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, our experiences before were, were largely kind of in the, the Ethereum Cosmos Terra ecosystems, so really not uh, things that that Solana um, was really known. Uh, things that Solana really quite different. So we were interested in those ecosystems because that's where a lot of the initial innovation in DeFi was happening. Um, people were building products there that um, really uh, newer ecosystems like Solana and non-EVM ecosystems had to catch up to, and they needed to spend a lot of time. Which really we saw the last six months is really what this this big catch up was in terms of the Solana ecosystem having all these these basic primitives that Ethereum and, and other EVM chains do. But for us specifically, what brought us to Solana is, is really, I think, how C-level runtime is different than um, DVM. I think if you look at Solana as a system, it, it really replicates some of the traditional high-frequency trading um, platforms that you may may see in TradFi, um, which which makes it appealing to us coming from kind of the quant trading and research world that it, it's a place that we can kind of take some of uh, our, our team's core knowledge in, in low-level engineering and, and apply it into um, this really cool, cool protocol as we build it out. Yeah, and um, does like uh, Serum also play a role there? Because um, I've talked yeah. to like a few VCs that operate on Solana, like Sino, for example, and they also tell me that Serum plays a huge role for like DeFi on Solana and that it attracts totally. a lot of uh, high quantitative traders as well. Yeah, I mean, Serum, Serum is, is, is a huge reason of uh, a justification really for why Solana is such a powerful place. It's really the first uh, successful implementation of a, a central limit order book um, on chain. Uh, and, and the way it works is, is quite interesting, but more importantly, it, it just creates this um, base infrastructure that anyone can tap into to create a market. And traditionally in the Ethereum world, we're so used to seeing kind of um, AMMs like, like Uniswap, SushiSwap kind of dominate since passive liquidity provisioning and, and access to, to, to that type of yield was, was quite important for users, which tends to distinguish Solana versus other chains as well, in that uh, Solana tends to attract more kind of savvy institutional or even savvy uh, quantitative retail traders who are coming in to run strategies across Serum uh, and, and using Serum um, kind of for, more from the the, uh, the back end and, and rather than kind of interacting with the front end only for, for most of these things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I wonder if you have any uh, comments, Max, or like some questions about what Friction has been up to? Yeah, definitely. The first thing that I'd like to ask is just about kind of your vision and your goal, because I know that starting out from a, from a DeFi options vault, you're working on getting a lot past that and you're releasing products which can't really be lined up to traditional DeFi option vaults. I know that your end goal is full stack portfolio management, and I'd just like to get kind of your view on it and what the end goal would be and what it will involve. Yeah, this is, uh, this is an awesome question. So as you mentioned, 
um, we started in, in this DOV space or DeFi option vaults, and we're growing out into various um, kind of return streams or risk streams too. So as we're growing, we, we kind of realized one, one thing was um, each one of these markets has a target performance environment, right? For example, since the middle of March, we've seen vols trend lower and lower um, after the Fed announced they're starting to raise rates. And, and a vol selling strategy may not be the best if, if this type of thing is happening, right? So we want to have products that don't necessarily have the same exposure. So, so for us, one way of thinking about this suite is that um, we need products that are A, not correlated to each other, and this allows them to perform in multiple market cycles, right? So, so we need a, a bear market product, a set of bear market products, a set of bull market products, and a set of crab market products, which um, was, was one of our most recent product launches with Volt 3, essentially a crab strategy made to perform within range-bound markets, which I think we've been chopping around in, in some pretty tight ranges relative to historics for, for BTC, Sol, and ETH um, in, in the last couple of weeks. So um, yeah, I think our focus is, is a diversified stream of products and then let people take those and treat them as money Legos to construct their own sets of portfolios on top of them. Yeah, and for like the average retail trader, because we have like probably a lot of listeners who may have not interacted with options yet, like what would be their experience with friction? Because you meant you mentioned yeah. all these strategies, but I can imagine that maybe a person who isn't that experienced can find it like confusing. So what's like the basic um you know, like knowledge he should have when using your platform? Yeah. And what's what are like the expectations for those traders? Yeah, if I could, let me share my screen. I think maybe that'd be useful because one, one of our biggest goals right now is to make sure users have access to understand strategies. And I think right now it's it's pretty tricky from the user side, if, if they've never interacted with DeFi or even options before, to, to wrap their head around the product. Um, so, so one big initiative for us is we, we put up a lot of content that essentially allows you to like, understand the strategy deeply. So, so for our first strategy, uh, it's a simple option overwrite on call options. So essentially, you deposit your underlying asset. And also, just share. for the sake of listeners, just to clarify that when you're talking about strategies, you're referring to the vaults, which is you, you the call vaults, them vaults, yes. a play on them. Yeah, play on lightning, is it? Yeah, exactly. It's a play on lightning and vaults uh, from traditional yarn style uh, vault products. Um, yeah. So when a user comes into friction, they, they kind of have this option to choose um, amongst a, a set of assets that they may own in their portfolio or in, in their wallet. And for the user to understand the strategy, definitely encourage everyone to kind of read through the description. And, and we also have this fantastic video that, that some of our community members made, which really describes like, how does this covered call strategy work? There's really three outcomes since essentially what you're doing is you're selling upside volatility, meaning you're, you're, you're making a bet that soul doesn't move or an asset doesn't move beyond, let's say, 25% in a week. And in return for making that bet, you receive the premium of the, or essentially the price of that option, which encapsulates a lot of features that, that go into pricing options. And, and this video goes into explaining the scenarios in which what happens if soul stays below that price, is at that price or above that price uh, at the time of expiry. So for new users, definitely come through to the Explore page, which you can connect your wallet to and, and really see what assets or opportunities may line up to fit with your, your portfolio. And then you can also explore kind of some of the, the, the products and offerings um, on, on DAP as well. Yeah, and I assume, like, as you mentioned, you want to have strategies for, like, a lot of scenarios. So you also want to have a trader, like, maybe he's bullish or bearish or he thinks, like, we won't move. You want him to have like all these options there to pick his own um, strategy that fits his, you know, like yeah. normal trading strategy. Because 
we have seen some products that only offer like calls, you know, but that basically means that you can only be bullish when using the product. Well, I think what you're doing is trying to create strategies for every user. Yeah, exactly. The way we think about it is like in, in the traditional world, when you try to generate any sort of alpha or any, any sort of return, the same thing by, by design, by the same strategy is, is, is never going to always work. And in order for uh, the user to be able to like have the opportunity to at least outperform a market or just perform in a market, they need they need these this diversified basket. And it, it's like a lot of these customized things, right? Like for a normal user to just uh, design an options overriding strategy that doesn't lose money every week requires a little bit of research, requires efficient execution, requires finding liquidity on on the buy side and and finding this, the best liquidity as well. Then it also requires capital efficiency and, and kind of finding the venues to do this. So, so for us, the goal is to deliver these kind of wrapped strategies in in tokenized forms. And and the way we do it is is we have um, F tokens or friction tokens that like represent ownership in the vault. And then um, anyone who wants to bundle up these tokens or really size them in different um, proportions to create allocations can can kind of do so. Awesome. And in terms of the vaults that you're covering, could you? Give us a brief, brief overview of the four vaults and a bit more detail, especially on the third and fourth ones. Yeah, for sure. So as we were talking about earlier, the first two vaults, uh, the first one is an income generation strategy. So you deposit your underlying asset. I think we support about 20 assets there now. Um, everything from Sol to Luna to, to Samo, which is a, a, a leading dog coin on Solana. Um, that's it's really grown an interesting community. And you're, you're writing call options using the first vault on your underlying asset to collect that upside premium. And the second vault, you're writing put options on the underlying uh, USDC, uh, USDT, or UST, or TSUSDC. And recently we launched UXD support, which we're gonna be talking about this week, uh, which is which is one of the, the newest algo stables on Solana. And, and this strategy is essentially selling downside volatility and collecting some premium. Uh, and then more recently, as you mentioned, uh, pretty excited to launch our crab strategy. Actually, we released a really exciting deep dive into the crab strategy recently, which we should definitely share with your community if they're interested. Um, that that essentially goes into the back tests, the the performance data, as well as kind of some of the thesis behind why we think this strategy works or what markets it works in. So I guess uh, we can run through the third strategy a little bit, and this is probably one of the articles you'll link to. So really, the third strategy relies on on this key instrument, which is one of the newest innovations in in DeFi. It's called a power perpetual. If you're familiar with perpetuals, it, uh, it's it's the mark to attracts the mark minus the index price, the mark being um, whatever's trading on an active order book for this uh, this asset, and then the index being uh, an oracle price that reports an oracle that reports the spot price of the underlying asset. Uh, so so this particular image shows you the payoff diagram of a a power two perp, or essentially replacing the index with index squared. So now you're trading, let's say BTC squared perp rather than BTC perp. Um, and this shows you one, one really unique feature of a power perpetual in the red line, which is this, this thing called convexity. It essentially means that your upside gains are less capped than your downside losses. And, and you can compare this to a normal position that the kind of DGENs looking for this type of exposure would go to, which is a 2x levered perp. And you can see this, this interesting R-squared term that you can, you can only get by using a power perpetual. So the reason I'm saying all this is, is because um, if, if we really want to design a position that can make money in, in range-bound markets, then we built this thing called called Crab, which essentially allows you to um, put on an exposure that looks somewhat like this. So this top chart is, is a payoff diagram for the Crab strategy. Essentially, your profit is reliant on the price of an underlying asset staying in a range. Uh, we call that range the profit range. 
Um, and as your underlying asset moves out of that range, uh, you can have losses, whether it's on the upside or the downside. So one way to think about this in, in options world is, is comparing it to um, a fixed strike at the money straddle. So uh, that means the strike rebalances every day. At the money just means that it's it's really where, where spot price is at. Um, and, and rebalancing daily means that we, we rebalance the deltas in this position every day. Because one really cool thing to remember is is when the position is put on, uh, and what is a position? It's a, a short power perpetual and long 2x equivalent of the spot perpetual to provide a delta hedge when the position's put on. And our epochs for this are weekly. So once the position's put on, it is delta hedge. Um, obviously, this exposure can change during the week. So it's something to keep track of and something we're looking at optimizing a little bit better. Yeah. In terms of the circuits, there's something that are really, really interesting. Could you just introduce them and give us a bit of information and sort of any synergies that would exist between the circuits and the traditional platform? Yeah, great question. So for us, circuits is um, our way of allowing DAOs who manage risk capital, which is a thesis that we think DAOs are accepting now, to have access to sustainable forms of uh, portfolio management. And, and by this, what we mean is um, a lot of DAOs right now are sitting majority in native token with small allocations into USDC or some allocations into the, their L1s token. And I think for us, as, we, as we've examined a lot of DAOs on Ethereum, and, and now we're starting to build up a, a really strong DAO community on Solana, we're trying to build an offering that allows these DAOs access to an on-demand portfolio management system. So essentially, the way we think about circuits is um, someone onboards into circuits by filling out the, the application as a DAO or as a protocol on app.friction.fi slash circuits. And um, inside this, they provide us some key risk information. So they say our, our, uh, our risk tolerance for a year is, is this, meaning it may be measured in, in a, a max monthly drawdown or acceptable, uh, acceptable loss over some period of time, their target returns, um, their liquidity preferences. So how, how quickly do they be able to want to withdraw their, their capital from a strategy? And then we get some information about kind of what the nature of their, their protocol is. Are they a lending protocol that has some systemic risk with liquidations? Are they a trading engine? Are they a, a kind of NFT project, which makes income in, in the underlying L1 token uh, through mints? Um, and we use this to design a, a kind of optimal portfolio for them based on, the, so they input this risk information, we perform a risk analysis, we build a framework of what things that they need to satisfy. And then we go in there and we construct baskets of, of strategies for them that can work in multiple market conditions. So one exciting part of this is, is the type of stress testing we do is um, really focused on identifying periods of time and with market volatility just really roofed and um, users weren't uh, really weren't able to um, protect from that with a traditional instrument. So this tends to be when we find long volatility strategies or at least well-managed long volatility strategies to be the most effective. And we do this to understand what would drive their, their treasury's performance or what would drive their, their protocol's performance. And then based off of these conclusions, uh, we can deploy new vaults, uh, which, is, which is something that's pretty cool right now. I think like most retail users just previously have just seen uh, the vaults as they exist on the retail side. But for any DAO and circuits, vaults should be thought of more as a strategy, not as a discrete number or, or a discrete set of deltas that may be chosen for the options each time. So if you're a, if you're a DAO participating in, in circuits and you're looking to maybe overwrite some calls on your native token or on Sol, you can uh, really have access to a customized set of Kind of option pricing and, and strike selection there that you wouldn't necessarily get on, on the Volt side. Uh, so it tends to be much more customized based on the DAO's profile. And then more recently, um, when we have strong partners in this case, and, and this week, as we mentioned, we're going to announce our partnership with UXD. We work with these protocols to find what are some inherent risks to their their, their project and, and what can friction do um, by building Volts around them. So 
for folks familiar with UXD, for example, they can mint, you can mint UXD, which is their native stablecoin, by depositing any uh, a basket of underlying assets. What this essentially does is it creates a short basis position. So it's it's shorting a perpetual um, with an amount of underlying asset being held to to protect the delta. Um, and and what we've seen this do is it causes funding rates to go quite negative on exchanges like Mango, where they're currently using to mint. So Friction deployed a, a new strategy, or Volts Four, which really is is a long and short basis strategy. Initially, with their first deployment being long basis, to really help people take the other side of that, which could help balance out the funding rates over a longer term. Um, if if the market knows there's kind of some structural flow of uh, negative funding coming in at every time uh, a user mints UXD. So uh, the way we view this is like we want to create like a meaningful beyond the idea of kind of like protocol and liquidity and protocol controlled assets. We want protocols to be able to have meaningful influence in in how friction launches new pro- products um, as well as how they can manage their assets in a diversified way. So I think about circuits like a combination of volts with different risk parameters that DAOs can customize based on how much working capital they need or what their, their tolerances are in terms of uh, return generation. Yeah, and this has been like a topic for like many years already because we've seen on Ethereum like DAOs struggle with this and we've seen like crazy, treasury, yeah. treasury management really uh, went off there like in 2021, like some great things happened there. But on Solana, like as you mentioned, the ecosystem is just starting and there are way more in- inefficiencies. So I'm very excited to see how uh, friction will play into those try to help those DAOs like manage their capital because yeah. a lot of DAOs aren't also traders. They don't know a lot about financial products. They exactly. are developers or they are artists. Like it's very nice to see you guys help them with that because it benefits them, but also the entire Solana community. Yeah. I mean, just to put it with some numbers, like on Ethereum, I think we have around 20 billion of assets within DAOs and on Solana, it's less than 2 billion. We have, we have 20% of uh, 15 to 20 million of DAO um, assets kind of within the protocol, within custom vault allocations, which really gives like, it shows how much scale we, we could get if we start to onboard more of these protocols into into circuits. Um, and, and really one of the most exciting things is when we do this cross chain. So Ethereum DAOs that are sitting on large reserves of native token that have grown um, in liquidity and, and in popularity over time, like Uniswap and Compound, they, they can use friction strategies on Solana very soon to be able to deploy their treasuries, um, whether it's call overriding, which we think is, is quite a phenomenal way for a lot of native treasuries to diversify out of their native token without explicitly selling it. Essentially, what this means is, is they say that if the price of Uniswap, Unitoken, goes um, above 25% in this week, then uh, Uniswap Labs or Uniswap the treasury uh, kind of gives away their, uh, their native token, but collects that premium in, in USDC or in their native token. Uh, kind of based off of their risk profile. So this allows for, I think, a, a more sustainable environment for DAOs diversifying from native token treasuries. Yeah, and then like an important question is, how does friction benefit from this themselves? Because you offer all yeah. these strategies, but what's like the what's in it for you guys? Yeah, this is a really good question. I mean, uh, for, from the start, we've been asking ourselves, like kind of what can we do to incentivize our token network and our token holders and our community um, by performing, so our biggest our biggest view is we we don't want to be extractive. We don't want to have uh, rent unnecessary rent seeking um, within friction. So we think the real only way we can we can really charge any fee or charge any incentive is is for performance. So a majority of our our revenue comes from performance fees, meaning we only make money when the users make money uh, or when an epoch has positive returns. 
And then we have a small withdrawal fee and no management fee. We, we kind of believe like the introduction or the convergence of management fees into DeFi is, is generally like, a, and it, it's kind of antithetical to, to the, the ethos of DeFi in the first place. We think that, yeah, it should be largely performance-based. So we have about uh, 4 million of expected revenue this year through um, a combination of these fees we're talking about. Yeah, it's funny because obviously there's like a total different product, but you know, like Gary Gensler from the SEC, he has criticized like management fees in traditional finance for years. So yeah. I think like even the regulators would agree with you that it's a quite unethical way to manage or like have funds in your protocol. And with uh, friction, I can also see that you're trying to align the incentives. So if your protocol performs, it's not only good for them, but you also benefit to kind of help you like make good strategies instead of just trying to get as much capital as possible in your protocol without having any good performance. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, we're, we're here to make, our, our goal as a protocol is to be the highest PL generating uh, set of strategies for any user. And I think like for us, we, we spend a lot of time optimizing how we would deploy capital, how we would make sure things are like optimally designed in in terms of the the strike and expiry selection process and, and continuously iterating on those models i mean you you can tell from performance like we're the only solana call option protocol that or protocol that uses solana call options that hasn't had a down epoch um, in the history of our existence which is pretty cool i mean like when ribbon came over to sauna within a couple of weeks a naive 10 delta selling strategy was had lost three or four percent and i think um the days of of kind of some of these these like strategies that are very uh, well known and and digestible, have have or or, or really predictable um, causes there to be inherent like volatility crush going into the selling of some of these strategies. So we spent a lot of time researching kind of like efficient execution as well. Um, as as part of this idea, you said is like we only we want to provide a service which can help outperform other things. And and when we don't do that, we shouldn't be incentivized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And on your research, one thing I'm very interested in is. Would you say the crypto market is efficient? Like from what I hear, what you're saying, like it feels like it's already quite efficient if these predictable strategies don't, you know, like, uh, you know, like they're not like as predictable anymore as they used to be. That's basically what you're saying. Really good question. Yeah. So I think there's some interesting, I, I would think about efficiency of crypto markets on a scale relative to how, how liquid the underlying asset is. So there's like, there's a long tail of assets, um, and actually, I probably put options and maybe nonlinear derivatives in this place right now. Most of these are still not very efficient because the only place they exist, for example, Friction as a protocol um, is the largest trader of Solana, BTC, Luna options, amongst other things, across the entire DeFi market, right? And and by doing this, since we trade on a weekly basis or a biweekly basis, it it creates like an interesting volatility dynamic that that causes the market to react very strongly to to this one time in a week sale of, of these options, right? So it can cause some pretty interesting um, impact on market structure, which we've seen exist in traditional markets for a long time, which is what keeps the front of the volatility curve um, a lot lower, a lot, lot more depressed relative to the back of the curve across uh, most, most crypto assets. Um, and then in terms of spreads, uh, which is another probably measure of liquidity, I think we're starting to see on-chain crypto assets or DeFi derivatives generally start to show that they, they can kind of shine with tight spreads in somewhat liquid order books. I mean, take Mango as a, as a great example on Solana. I don't think they've done any like traditional market making agreements that protocols um, like maybe DYDX did in the early days to, to bootstrap liquidity onto their their exchange. Uh, and I think we're, we're getting a lot more mature than we used to be, but there still exists like like tens of billions of dollars in grayscales type ETFs that 
are, are functionally just buying spot and charging you like 2% a year to do so. And I think we need to see that move over to on-chain before we can truly say like the market's getting more efficient. But yeah, definitely would distinguish between the, the type of asset and the, the type of market. Yeah, so you would say you like the way where it's heading, right? Like it's going into the right direction. Yeah, I think, I mean, this it tends to be what happens in like somewhat bear markets, I think, is like you, you can't use uh, like Ponzi met- methods of acquiring users and, and kind of filters out these things. And, and by doing so, you inherently kind of make the market a bit more efficient um, by looking for yield in places where it, it really is, is sustainable. Although this is kind of like a meme term that I see overused a lot when we talk about yields at DeFi. Yeah, I'm sure you also have a lot of uh, questions, Max. So go ahead. <laughs> I've got a, um, one that I just wanted to, it was, it's, I think, more of a statement, but I'd like to have kind of your view on it and how it would work is the details of it. Because I know that the custom sure. vaults that are made for circuits can then be turned into vaults on the actual platform. How would that work? And what do you see? Because essentially, it's then a complete system of portfolio management, which is then accessible to retail and everyone and will continue growing. Yeah, this is a this is a bit of an alpha leak, but for sure our goal is that if we allow a user to participate in a similar size or with a similar desire to deploy like risk into one of the strategies, um, any any vault right now, and I think this is one of the beauties of how how kind of Alex and the team have designed the back end, is that this vault program can work across options, perps, nonlinear perps, um, and, and a variety of instruments, and we can we can kind of package it into a, a generic vault that allows anyone to, to compose on top of it. So which is what you're seeing kind of some teams like invest in right now doing, which are which are offering friction vaults to their users who are building decentralized hedge funds. So so one one avenue is is all of the vault products eventually or all the circuit products can have uh, an opening for retail users to participate. It, it's just a matter of finding enough liquidity at each each level, which we see people maybe using the vault. So across strikes and across expiries. And and something we're noticing is like you would think that we, we tend to gravitate towards markets with more liquid, consistent order books in options specifically. But I think that the rise and growth of friction, and especially the structured product space, has shown that DeFi users are much more yield-driven rather than maybe like the traditional trader on Robinhood who's, who's comfortable punting like long calls every every day. So for us, it's like eventually these vaults or these circuit these opportunities will open up to a broader set of users, uh, which is why we want to get to like vault number 10. And then we can truly say like, hey, come in here, input your risk parameters, and, and we'll like algorithmically recommend or, or give you the chance to choose um, a set of vaults to deploy into. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds really good. And in terms of the option selling, there's a question that it gets quite technical. So we'll try and keep it as untechnical as possible. But just in terms of what you're doing differently to competitors and avoiding market makers front running your option selling. Could you go into a bit of detail on that? For sure. This is a topic we've spent a lot of time researching. So to, to caveat, everything I'm saying is probably going to come from this article that we released called Optimizing Options Auction Execution. A bit of a tongue twister, but there's definitely a, a good Medium article that's going to cover a lot of things I'm saying. So I think there's there's probably three things that we do that are different or, or that are taking some really early lessons that the market's in, in traditional world have, have learned. The first one is um, building uh, kind of native RFQ infrastructure. So what this means is that within uh, within Friction, we had this team called Channel that essentially built out a request for a quote venue um, or a blind Dutch auction, uh, essentially, is, was a way to think about it. And this creates a concentrated liquidity window in which 
um, we have between 10 and 20 market makers show up and and provide bids for these options that are being sold by by the vault. And this is one really huge feature because having a seamless interface for people to interact um, is, is something that succeeded quite well with the, the rise of things like Paradigm on top of Deribit in the CeFi options world. So by having these auction windows, you can bring together a bunch of market participants to compete to provide the best price, right? And and for us, it's like, we want to make sure the user is getting the fairest value, if not even better than, than we can. So we measure performance in, in how close to the Deribit spread are we trading? Are we trading above the bid all the time? Are we trading above the offer all the time, which would be amazing? And then kind of how can we how can we make sure that the user is getting the best price? And, and we think channel is one big contributor. Another one is is how we design the auction in the first place. So from the, the length which market makers or, or users have to bid on the option to the total duration and the time the auction occurs. In this um, this kind of paper I was referencing, we did some back testing to, to observe the impact of volatility selling from DOVs in, in the DeFi option space generally. And, and we saw that the ribbon auction being the time it was, uh, was causing vol to fall um, anywhere from, from five to six points ahead of the auction, which is a couple of percent of yield for the end user who's, who's selling the option. And this front running happened quite frequently um, on their auctions. And and by essentially our, our lesson from this and our implementation was we moved our auctions. We, we tried various times, six hours before the Deribit close, or six hours before our previous time, 12 hours before. And we've iterated to come to the sweet spot, we think, which still occurs before all the other DOVs. And and we've actually seen them them take notice and, and move their auctions up a little bit too, which goes to stand. Like I think a lot of our goal is like, yeah, we want want the space to get smarter, and and we think part of part of this is like just releasing this education and, and kind of research content, so so people can understand that they should use products that are designed efficiently on the back end. And in terms of the like the pricing and the actual options selling themselves, could you go into kind of how you price the options, how you ensure? that you set, there's a fair scale, but also maximum return for depositors and how they're sold? Yep. So it's so a really good question. We use a pretty similar, simple um, like uh, option token, writer token model. So the buyer of the option receives the option token if they win. Uh, so let's say there's an auction occurring and, and you're, you're a market maker, you're an uh, option buyer, you place a bunch of bids or, or you, anyone comes in and places bids. At the end of the auction window, we just hit down from the top of the order book through the volume required to close that auction. But as you mentioned, pricing is an important part of this. Like, how, how do we ensure that um, we're not getting a below market price? Um, so something that we do, I mean, as a team, we, we have kind of spent time in volatility markets before this, which allows us to kind of have an idea of what we think a reasonable price would trade at and, and build what's called a theo or a theoretical value um, of the price of the option. And we always have this theo in the back of our head. We spend time before the auction pricing this and, and kind of um, looking around to see what, what indicative pricing we can get to make sure um, the users aren't trading too far below that. And there's been instances where the best market price is below the is meaningfully below the Theo. And if we're trading like 10, 15 vol below, then uh, we, we've had instances where we just don't trade that week because we think it would be an unfair price for the user. And I think the vault is, and this part, this logic is all kind of going into the vault program. So, so we can have this kind of on-chain and, and decentralized such that users don't have to, to really think about like, oh, well, who's going to choose the best strike this week or who's going to have the best uh, execution this week, right? They, they can rely on a server or they can rely on a, a service that teams provide. And then, and then recently we're, we're going to be integrating with Paradigm as well, which is a, a CFI based uh, auction platform that's built on top of Deribit um, to have act to access their, their liquidity network when, and they do like 400 to 500 million in options volume a day. So we think that should provide kind of some more efficiencies for users on the, the pricing side. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Paradigm because that's like 
I think that's like a pretty big deal for you guys as well, right? To be able to integrate with them. Because for now, options on CeFi have performed better in terms of adoption. And I think like the liquidity is like one of the main reasons why. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I mean, if you look at the, the CeFi crypto market for options, it's just been 90% BTC and ETH traded through Deribit. Um, which is the largest venue for most of these things. And and a couple of like up and coming exchanges are launching things like Ledger X is just bought by FTX is, is fully collateralized. So it doesn't have the capital efficiency that Deribit's portfolio margining does. And and this is kind of one of the powers of DeFi, we think is like, we've been able to add support for um, 20 plus assets, including a lot of long tail DeFi tokens using using kind of the friction infrastructure. And and we think this is where one of the reasons why like DeFi options tend to, tend to grow a lot in the future is yeah, we're able to we're able to add more options at a, at a pretty fast pace and, and try to aggregate liquidity and demand around these products um, in a way that they probably couldn't in a centralized way. I mean, Deribit's supposed to be adding Solana options. Um, hopefully we can kind of see how, how that impacts the market. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. Like DeFi has just so many pros compared to like CeFi options. And like even like traditional markets, like as Max mentioned, there are way more possibilities for protocols like you, but also for the user to operate in a trustless, decentralized way, instead of having to, uh, you know, like operate on platforms like Deribit or maybe um, I think Bytebit also recently like launched options. And I just don't see that being the way it will stay for crypto. Like, I, I just think like platforms like Friction, like decentralized option platforms, that's where it's heading. That's just my own uh, opinion. I mean, just think about the idea of like you deposit a friction and you mint your FC soul, which is a friction token call option on Solana. You can take this FC soul that's kind of like a rebase token in the sense that as long as the wallet owns that token, that token is what's accruing the, the PL from the strategy. You can take that and one day lend it into a money market to get capital efficiency on it. Or you can deposit that to an AMM if you want instant liquidity. Um, or you can build a basket of F token positions across very, a variety of things. And I think these are things that I mean, this is just natural advantages of DeFi. I mean, things like power perps, right? Probably never going to see perps in, in TradFi, so let alone power perps, yeah? Yeah, for sure. And some more details that I would like to get just on the analytics page, kind of you guys take a very like open and transparent view with the research you're doing, all the articles that you've got out, which we find quite a lot of protocols don't publish in such details, but you simplify it as well so everyone can understand and you've got a really comprehensive analytics page. And if you could just give us like a brief, like tell us what's included in there. We'll include it in the show notes For as sure. well, but it's, it's something that really impressed me about the platform. Yeah. Our approach to this generally, as you said, is spot on. We want people to have institutional grid analytics, like retail users, DAOs, treasuries. We want everyone to have like the deepest insight they can into what the strategy is doing and what the protocol is doing. Otherwise, we don't think we're going to beat CFI, right? Like that's that's flat out like why we why we do this. Um, and then how we do it, which is kind of what we run through now. So this is the main analytics page, just out of friction of high session analytics. If you come over here, you can see the volume we're trading, the, the value locked, how much premium we've generated for the user, and when the next epoch starts, the number of auctions we've held. And then you can see individual transaction data for every option and every strategy. So let's say you're looking for power perps, for example, which we recently launched. You come in here and you can see the, the product, um, the deposit amount, the premium collected, and then the net return of fees and, and costs and slippage and everything. And then you can also do the same for uh, any of the other the other products. And then the probably the more exciting one is is on a product level or on an asset level. You can come in here and track a couple things. 
So let's just say I'm looking at my FC Soul, which is the one I was describing earlier. So if you deposit into the Solana Vault, to the Solana Vault One, which is the, the covered call strategy, you receive this FC Soul Vault token, which kind of like an LP token represents your ownership in, in the product. Uh, and this this graph up top, it tracks the cumulative price of that that token in terms of the underlying asset in Soul. And and this is our goal, right? It's like we want the user to be able to perform positively um, in Soul terms if they're depositing to the first vault. And, and the user has the option of, of taking their capital out and, and converting it back into USDC each time. We also make it really easy to see the strike selected versus the spot price at any time, going back to the first deployment of the vault itself and now coming to see kind of where, where we are with reference to these uh, strikes. We also have a ton of um, performance data covering essentially break-evens, like option styles, compounding windows, uh, yield data that basically looks at... So one example of something that's usually like not not shown in DeFi is, is just yield since inception, right? So what is this on, on the platform? And then what is this annualized, right? So I think a lot of these are really important for users to know before they get into the strategy. Otherwise, for them, it's like, oh, well, I'm... Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of blindly following an APY. I think DeFi tends to win because yeah. of APY marketing right now. But ROI is what's going to win at the end of the day, right? I mean, this is like a issue in like the entire finance, like even in traditional finance where people look at returns, but they don't look at the money they actually get back out of it. Like you can see crazy, crazy returns. But if you don't get any actual, you know, like returns that you can take out of it or like like you can say we project a hundred percent return, but you want to know okay how much have these people performed in the recent years before that, and yeah, exactly. what, what have people actually gotten back from using these products, instead of like just indeed seeing like an APY on the screen and you are, you know, like hoping that the APY that's there is right. Yeah, I mean you can you can come and validate every one of our APYs every week when we update our performance data. Um, so essentially for this, the sole strategy, you can look at every transaction and you can even explore on chain um, what happened during that transaction to understand what the program is doing, what the buyers and sellers are doing, uh, and then look at your premiums and returns. So we, yeah, we want to be maximally transparent about this. And, and even when like in, in the case of uh, the protocol losing money with on certain weeks, like if, if we rip through the strike two weeks in a row, uh, we want to be transparent about that too. So you can see up or down performance kind of regardless of, of where it happens. I'm looking really excited to kind of launch the analytics for Fold 3 because as we mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a bit of a complicated product, but I think once users understand the power of it, uh, especially because right now, I think a lot of people, including myself, probably view that we're in a bit of a crab market, if not a bear market, how, how can they use that strategy and understand that better? But yeah, hopefully that was useful. Yeah, it was really useful. And um, another uh, topic I had in mind was like security of uh, friction because, you know, like Solana itself has, not seen many hacks on the Solana network. It seems to happen more on Ethereum. I guess it has to do with, you know, like the fact Ethereum is Solidity, Solana is Rust, like there are more forks on Ethereum. But what is Friction uh, doing to prevent of them getting exploited? Like, are there any audits? Yeah. What security measures have you guys taken? Yeah, really good question. So, so for us, yeah, security is really what allows our protocol to go from 100, 200 million to a billion, 10 billion in, in in kind of TVL and, and usership. We're doing a couple of things. So our audit from Kudelski is, is underway. It's almost complete. Um, this is a full security audit of, of the Volt program for, as I mentioned, I was referring to earlier. Um, we've also worked pretty closely with some, some Serum and Solana developers to do code reviews of the protocol um, along the way to make sure some of the things we're doing and, and using um, kind of Solana's account-based model 
um, which also provides some natural security benefits. And, and we use Anchor, which is also developed by Project Serum, which is essentially kind of a, a set of tools to, to build on top of uh, Solana without having to maybe directly write in Rust and uh, makes, makes life a lot simpler from the development side. Um, so we want to make sure things are safe on that front as well. So yeah, definitely have our first audit coming with Kodelsky. Uh, should be completed in the next uh, two or three weeks, actually. Uh, and then we're going to engage on another one for future volts as as we launch them. Because for us, yeah, we can't scale without um, security behind the protocol. Yeah, are you also looking at like bug bounties or incentives for users? Like that's always yeah. a big topic in DeFi these days. Yeah, so we, um, yeah, we're going to launch our first bug bounty once the audit results are out. Um, and, and we kind of make our, our first set of tweaks. Um, that should be pretty sizable as well. Hopefully, I mean, after Wormhole has like a 10, 10 to 20 million bug bounty out, I think. So maybe not like as huge, but definitely want to have uh, uh, some strong incentives for people to, to kind of report um, any, any issues they may see with the protocol. We also have a fully functioning SDK that's, that's public right now that anyone can access, which a lot of protocols are using to build on top of friction. Um, so would encourage uh, any developers listening in who are, are interested in kind of experimenting with, with friction from, from that side to, to take a stab at it. Yeah, you guys also participate in the hackathon as one of the sponsors. I uh, remember, yeah. like, you guys uh, basically allowed people to build on top of friction there as well and win prizes, right? Yeah, we we're really focused on as we make our token model or F token model more um, accessible and, and usable. We want everyone to start. We're gonna we're gonna launch a couple of really exciting products, such as a portfolio page and a leaderboard. Um, which really increase the experience around the community of people using friction. And uh, from the developer side, you can come in and try to compete for uh, every week who can who can kind of be the highest on the leaderboard by by designing some strategies around multiple friction volts. So yeah, we also awarded the prize for the most recent Solana Riptide Hackathon to ZetaBlock, which is a, a full stack data infrastructure solution that's helping us build a, a really fast and reliable um, uh, data pipeline for our portfolio page where any user can come in and track their performance uh, their PL, which is something that you rarely see across DeFi apps, right? You have to usually do it in the spreadsheet somewhere and, and kind of keep track of your money. So now we'll let anyone, any user do this historically as well um, for all their friction positions, um, which is which is why I really enjoyed uh, kind of giving the prize to, to that team. Yeah, that that's awesome. And it's really nice to see you guys engaging in these hackathons because a lot of uh, magic has happened there for Solana. Totally agree. I think Solana has one advantage is um, that the community um, the developer community is really being stimulated by like Sauna Foundation, Sauna Labs, uh, and and I think there's a a lot of base primitives that are already built. So now it's kind of up to us to start to build the next generation of things that don't exist in other chains. Awesome. I've got a couple of bits that I want to touch on really quickly, just in light of all of that. There is you mentioned about uh, protocols building on top of friction, which is something that I'm definitely interested in. As I mentioned, I, the money Legos is kind of where the future is, in my opinion. And if you could give us any information, obviously, um, if, don't give us anything that's not publicly disclosed, but anything you could tell us about those protocols would be amazing. Yeah, I think one that I'm super excited about um, is called Investin. Uh, I think their website is investin.pro, um, I-N-V-E-S-T-I-N. And essentially what they're, they're building is a decentralized fund model where any user can come in and, and build a portfolio across a bunch of protocols. Right now, I think they support Jupiter, which is a a swap aggregator or a router on Solana, Mango for perpetuals and, and lend to borrow. And, and Friction, I believe, will be their next integration such that you as a as a decentralized fund manager can launch a fund on Investin and allocate into Friction strategies directly using them and then manage your position um, through a GUI or through a through an interface kind of designed and completely built and tailored by Investin. 
Um, so that, that's one example. There's another set of kind of products that I was alluding to earlier in which um, there are protocols. So let's say um, your favorite AMM on Solana, pick one, and they'll be able to take their RRF tokens or the friction um, ownership tokens and and deposit them into a liquidity pool. Let's say it's a concentrated liquidity pool where someone is, is actively managing the position um, or it's just a generic concert product liquidity pool. This would allow for people to have a real-time liquidity based on the depth of those pools um, in and out of those, these friction token positions. Meaning if you're a depositor into a friction vault this week uh, and you want to get out of your position before the epoch ends or, or take someone else's position before the epoch ends because you have a different view than them, um, then you can access pretty consistent liquidity through this. So yeah, I think those are those are some of the use cases. And then and then there's a natural one of like, how do we create a portfolio of a bunch of F tokens that makes the most money over a period of time? And there's a couple of protocols and teams that are doing a lot of backtesting and research now to figure out, like using all this out of sample data that we have over the last four months of being on mainnet, how could we have designed a portfolio that kind of outperforms the market um, given the data that we have on the analytics page? Yeah, awesome. And in terms of what the future holds for you guys, are there any vaults that are currently in the pipelines and what do you kind of see the next six months involving for friction? Yeah, there's um, there's a bunch of stuff actually our, our like dashboard of products to ship is like right here, right? Uh, this, this whiteboard. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we have a couple, we have a couple new ones that are coming out. We're, we're working on a couple of features actually right now, which allow users to move seamlessly between vaults. Um, we're probably going to have this as a, as a utility for our OG NFT holders. As, as one of these things, which minimize kind of the fee paying between exiting and re-entering a position. And we're working on launching a couple of utilities on this, this NFT alongside this system as well. We have a referrals program that's coming quite soon as well. So let's say like Stan has, has five friends that don't use friction. Stan can kind of earn some, some profit from um, referring new five friends to friction and also kind of growing the ecosystem, which is something that we're excited about. Uh, then we have three more volts. Um, I, I can say for now, we're really focused on uh, getting to the, the fixed income stream space, which is a broad category of DeFi that traditionally is a, kind of a race to the bottom in terms of interest rates. So our, our focus is really finding like reliable streams of fixed income that can complement some of the optionality or, or the option positions that are created in the first couple of volts on friction to provide you this like, yeah, this this holistic portfolio because fixed income tends to still dominate in uh, traditional markets and we're seeing rates rise. So maybe the attractiveness is, is changing quite a bit now too. So definitely want to get uh, some strategies around that out. And then um, looking forward to working on what we call the Lightning Portfolio, which is just really like our um, our protocol's view or our community's view of like how to design the best performing strategy across a basket of all the volts and, and how to properly allocate into these strategies over time. So yeah, those are just a couple of things on the horizon. Awesome. And um, you mentioned the Lightning OG NFTs. I think that's a good segue for us to get into kind of anything to do with tokens and nfts and whatever you want to share yeah i mean definitely i i think max probably has one given how, how good of a dj he is um lightning ogs are we're, <laughs> we're, uh, i do i think i've got four actually <laughs> that's i love to hear that yeah well if you, if you do have one um, or if you don't have one rather um you can go to magic eden which is uh leading marketplace on solana for nfts um and, and grab your lightning og this gives you one one quick access to um our genesis wielder chat on on discord um, and if you're in there, Max can probably testament to this. There's there's a lot of alpha that's kind of exclusively shared with that community, and and they have a ton of early say in kind of what are the products launched look like. So one big part is like we really wanted to incentivize people who use friction with no, when there was no economic benefit. Like those were initially airdropped to our earliest power users on DevNet, 
And for us, it's awesome to see like the kind of floor price rise. Obviously, this is something that the community is happy about. But for us, it's more like we now have 700 people who own these things actively and participating in the Discord conversation. So um, that, that's it's, it's small numbers, but I think the, the depth of the community is really huge. It's um, again then, also uh, aligning incentives between you and your users because they now own something that can you know like grow in value if if your protocol succeeds. Yeah. And um, in terms of in terms of revenue, as I was mentioning earlier, like kind of we're on track for between like four and ten million in revenue this year, uh, based on how TVL grows. Um, and and this is not something like as the protocol like we're keeping right. I mean, protocols is the target is to be fully decentralized, such that users can can own this network um, and and receive these through some some form of kind of token based mechanism. But for us, that the first priority really is like we want to we want to have proven product market fit with respect to how do people find our vaults. As, as useful portfolio management instruments. Um, and then we want to create a network of DAOs and institutions who participate in Friction, who also have ownership of this network. And I think this is these are prerequisites for us to really have like a, a successful introduction of a token into the ecosystem. Because um, we tend to see like most uh, token implementations are um, kind of, everything just tends to look like this, right? And it's, uh, it's pretty disappointing to the early holders um, who've held on for a long time. So something we want to do is make sure that there is there's fundamental value in kind of being part of the friction token network and and we think a lot about this actually if you go to our forums we're having a, a conversation around a bunch of things um from like revenue sharing to to lightning og nft utility that, that we think um we'll have some some pretty good implementations of once the time comes um we'll definitely be let you guys know uh, when that's happening yeah I'm, I'm very excited for that and you know like governance is still something people are figuring out like in the moment like it's very early still in that regard especially on solana where like things like dao tooling haven't fully evolved yet like it's getting better on solana as well in the recent months but it's still a very you know like young space yeah governance on solana is is really young but we've moved pretty fast i mean if you look at things like realms uh which is the standard for standard contracts and and now ui for solana based governance uh, it, it has about one and a half million in sorry one and a half billion in, in DAOs utilizing realms to make their governance decisions, which is really impressive um, in, in the short time that kind of Solana ecosystem has been growing. Um, and actually, Friction is is one of the first, if not the first, uh, protocol to have a full integration such that any DAO on Solana that creates their DAO using the Solana program or Solana governance program can access Friction strategies through an on-chain instruction. So essentially, you would vote to participate in in the Friction strategy as a community. Uh, and and this allows you access to both circuits and the normal bolts. So our first implementation of this, we're going to be sharing on our launch post of circuits, hopefully next week. Yeah, very excited for that. And um, one more question I want to ask is like, okay, what's like your ideal view of DeFi? Like, let's say you woke up like five years from now, what would you like DeFi to be? Yeah, I think at a, at a really like high and somewhat cheesy level, like I, I would, I'd like to be bankless, right? I, I'd like to do all of my, my, my participation in, in financial products through, through on-chain. On I mean, I think uh, the, it, it's a pretty tough UX right now for most users. The biggest thing missing is, is probably just the ability to, to move between platforms. And even for a lot of new users, just onboard into the DeFi ecosystem, right? Traditionally, like you have to, you have to create a centralized exchange account, do some KYC, then transfer from that centralized exchange account to a wallet. And then from that wallet, use a bunch of apps. These are just traditional uh, pain points for, for users who expect kind of an all-in-one app or, or some sort of uh, DeFi super app in the future, I think we'll tend to see 
a lot of these new verticals rise. I think for me as well, one big part of DeFi that that isn't is not going a ton yet, but will be very useful is is the the identity and specifically with credit space. So I think we'll have a lot more reliable ways to be able to understand the credit worthiness of a user, whether it's an institution um, like a BlackRock or whether it's a traditional retail user, what their risk profile is. And and this is obviously fundamental to our core thesis as friction because if we understand a user's risk profile, then then we we can help them figure out what to allocate into um, in terms of strategies. So yeah, I'm hoping that, that we can get to also goal-wise, I mean, in five years, I think we should have at least a trillion in TVL in DeFi. And this will, this will be really good proof um, if we can achieve some of these things. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with like all of those points because like the, we have written some articles about uh, on-chain credit as well. I'll link them down below for the people who want to learn more about it. I think uh, one of them is on our website, so I'll make sure to uh, have that because not a lot of people are focused on it right now. But I think yep. Vitalik has written some articles about it. It's 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 getting discussed more and more like in the recent years as well, and it's like a very young space too, especially on Solana because on Ethereum it's not even fully, it has not even been fully developed yet. Yep, I think another really exciting one to watch out for is. Is like how does how does governance broadly evolve, and then do we do we tend to move away from a very individualized to more of a representative governance model, the way we see in, in current voting mechanisms in countries? Like, do we use um, yeah? How do we design the uh, mo- the most efficient governance model through through delegation, um, and then distributing the delegation? Right, like I think Compound still has like 15, 15 delegates that that tend or t- less than fifteen delegates who tend to to control most of the decision making, uh, and their governance. Is this something that we long term increase? Or we just change what we're optimizing for. So a ton of work to be done there too. Yeah, Yearn Finance has been like pioneering here with like uh, delegating like in working groups. So you've yeah. seen them like say, okay, we delegate these people to work on this specific issue. And they have more freedom, but are still like getting voted on by the DAO. So there's still some form of control, but they have more freedom than like needing to pass every proposal and i'm sure there will be tools for this as well where users can maybe anonymously like say hey i think this person fits this role because this and that and then when people can like vote on who they think get a role like that like in a very anonymous and like decentralized way where you don't need to have like full-fledged elections yeah this this is a huge point and like how do we how do we learn from the mistakes that traditional institutions made and the successes they had with like designing, uh, deciding who delegates in an open system? Vitalik wrote a really good piece on this in like 2014 or something about like decentralized organizations versus decentralized autonomous organizations versus organizations. And like he was an early one to say like kind of like not everyone needs a DAO. Like not everything makes sense as a DAO. Some things makes more sense as a, a DO, right? So how, how do we find that fine line between these and then what what do we use on our side, like as a protocol, in order to to make decisions effectively and safely, and not have to maybe wait five days before a proposal that everyone agrees on can implement? Uh, if there's security risk, for example, we've seen in Ethereum this time lock thing had had a bit of a a risk scare a couple times. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to fix and, and build on. How do you see yourselves? Kind of, I know that this may not, this is definitely not something that you've announced, but it's something that I could see as a natural progression over time would be to kind of go from DAO management to 
kind of institution and company treasury management once the world becomes more decentralized, which I think we all think is only a matter of time. Yeah. And is that something you see happening? And, and is there any like view you have on it kind of things? Yeah, great question. Max seems to have a great roadmap or, or somewhat of a crystal ball into our, in our, in our roadmap, but uh, we're actually pretty actively building out um, a more institutional focused team to build all of the friction products in, in what we kind of some people call permission DeFi. And, and yeah, there's a lot of people who may not see permission DeFi as, as true DeFi. But for us, in order to onboard a billion dollars of users into the next wave of friction, we need to tap into the traditional institutional market. I think there's certain things that we have to do in order to get this market comfortable with us. One of them being um, a, a secure and a reliable form of custody, uh, which always takes time. Um, some form of KYC and AML for users that participate in the permission pools, and then have a, have a reliable user base with with high credit score. Um, as I was hinting to a fixed income product coming in the future, which will involve a lot of these institutions um, and involve a really interesting way to kind of let anyone access um, institutional grade money markets, as well as create some of these vaults for um, family offices, high net worth individuals, and, and people looking to get into this space. I think there's a progression that we have to make before um, you can see friction as a yield opportunity on, on Robinhood. But we're definitely spending resources and time thinking about how to build our institutional strategy. Um, and uh, we're really excited to hopefully have an announcement around that in the next month or two. Uh, and if you know anyone, uh, of course, for a lot of friction roles as well, who is looking to kind of build out this type of product in, in DeFi or has some experience in institutional world, love to talk to them about uh, joining Friction Team. Awesome. That's great to hear because it's one of the things that we're lacking a lot in DeFi at the moment. It's kind of a focus. The only people who are catering to sort of traditional markets that I can think of off the top of my head is Aave. Yeah, and Compound. Um, so and Compound has Compound Treasury. But it's a registered security, right? So it's like a little bit tricky in terms of uh, how you build a product around this that can scale. That's a very popular product, mm. if you're wrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah. Um, and I guess this could be a kind of segue. If it's something that we've already covered, then feel free to just let us know that. But sort of long term for crypto goal which is probably a year or two maybe three years away yeah what's 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 the view obviously you've given us a good insight into what's what's you've got planned but kind of in terms of timeline or what scale you think you could reach in that time what are you thinking yeah i think for us a big thing is uh, we want to see the entire ecosystem get to 100 million users um and this is like kind of monthly active i think it's it's really far far shot i mean it's it's 50x 100x potentially how you how you measure some things um, across across protocols. Um, I think we need to see mass adoption of Solana as the trading chain, or really the institutional chain as well, which requires our institutional offering and our product to really be um, at the forefront of, of giving institutions what they want when it comes to um, crypto and DeFi products. Right now, we're seeing all of this capital flood towards just buying spot. I think in, in less than a year, we're going to see people realize that DeFi is, is something to be taken extremely seriously if you're a traditional player. It, it, it it not just displaces um, most institutions on the traditional front, but it also opens up opportunities for consumers to go directly to the end product with uh, the lowest amount of intermediaries, right? I think we need a, we need a mass realization that for the most part, DeFi can be a lot a lot better for the end user than, than traditional financial rails. So really bringing people on board. And at the same time, we need um, some consensus that DeFi will be the backbone of a lot of earned products in the centralized world. Uh, you kind of hear the meme about the DeFi mullet. The more I think about it right now, I think it tends to be quite true. Like a lot of these consumer fintech apps may be on the front, but then behind them, um, you're, you're sending your capital to things like Aave, Compound, and Friction to really provide that source of guilt. 
uh, which, which just looks like a number for most people. And then I also think as a community, we need, we need to bring in more developers um, and evangelists who, who are financially literate and, and educated to really um, advocate for what we're building. Yeah, awesome. I completely agree with the DeFi money analogy and the fact that that's the, the future will be that you'll be using DeFi, but you won't even know it. It's the best yeah. way for it to work and the efficiencies that can be gained. Obviously, there's a lot of issues at the moment where it's so early, but the efficiencies you can't get in centralized systems. So I don't see any way that it could be yeah. not happening. There, there's one really important part that I haven't really touched on much yet. I think it's because uh, it, it, it is really this idea of, of crypto or DeFi regulations. I think right now it's, it's a largely gray space. And something we're spending a lot of time thinking about is um, how do we kind of position ourselves and how do we build a, a, a decentralized, reliable institution that can meet the requirements of regulators going forward? I mean, if you look at the stuff that Andre recently published, Andre Kroner, who, who built Phantom and, yeah. and Yearn across a bunch of things, like we have to be extremely aware of what's happening in this landscape. Like we're, we're actively hiring for an internal general counsel who has experience working with uh, any of these American entities or foreign entities or, or foreign government entities that are that are focused on regulating um, within the financial product space. And, and we want to be on top of this stuff, whether it requires us to have a new stream of safer products or, or add in um, another layer of safety. Friction wants to be able to offer both a a highly like uh, permissionless, easy to access product, as well as something that's compliant with maybe like more uh, institutional facing users. Yeah, and I think like the attitude you have is the right one. Like we see some protocols have more an anarchistic attitude, where it's like, okay, we'll see what happens, but for now I'm staying out of the discussion. I don't want anything to do with it. But as Andre said, like it will be invincible that these regulators will want to have some control or some form of leverage. And the best way to still make a difference in that is by engaging in the discussions, being able yeah. to uh, educate them on what they can do and what they can't do, like Andre said. And I think it's good to see that you're like at least thinking in that direction because you want to be like a few steps before them. You don't want to be left behind when things maybe change. Because it's still yeah. very unpredictable. There's not a lot of information on what even the SEC is able to regulate or what all these other regulators can or can't do. So already like thinking about those scenarios is definitely like a plus for me. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's predicting the unpredictable, right? So uh, it always has some risks to it. But yeah, we want to we be at the table where these discussions are happening um, and also try to be educating policymakers. Uh, when it comes to some of these things so uh, again this goes back to like the transparency with analytics too right like we there's there's nothing that you can hide as a protocol doing things on chain right so for us it's uh being being kind of leading that space as well and uh yeah we're, we're pretty much at the end i think like we discussed a lot of cool topics but what if the user now wants to learn more about friction or wants to join your community what are the best platforms to go to where should they start and yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to uh, drop them all down below. Yeah, I think uh, if you're if you're a new user who hasn't checked out Friction, um, definitely start with the dApp at app.friction.fi um, and, and start playing around, kind of take it for a spin, try out different products uh, and share your experiences. And, and if you have any questions, um, our Discord is, is constantly active. We have, um, we have CMs that are fantastic um, and, and really a lot of the backbone of why we can onboard new users uh, as community managers are, are always watching and kind of answering questions 24 seven. Uh, and we're also in there as a core team all the time talking to people. So discord is at discord.gg slash friction. 
and ask and drop any questions you have in there if you have any feature requests or suggestions on improvements we can make from the UX side. And then for people who are looking to learn about the products on a deeper level, we have links to our documentation across the DAP, uh, just docs.friction.fi. And then we have a, a research a forum uh, on Medium uh, that you can access pretty easily as well. Uh, just uh, a link will include below. Yeah, and for any updates and announcements, I'm sure you have a Twitter too for people to keep Oh, up. yes. Yeah, yeah. Twitter is the, the classic one. It's just at friction underscore labs. It's uh, where we do uh, a lot of our community. Or, uh, yeah, we will launch a lot of things from there. We just launched Sambo today, so that so came out of Twitter. I would say as well about the Twitter, it's definitely worth checking out because there's a lot of like really interesting educational threads that are written about you and by you. Yeah, we're not that great at shoot posting, to be honest. Uh, we have a little bit more to do on that front. We tend to just post a lot of like content and educational information, and really, yeah, just just you make sure you what's going on. <laughs> so we have an intern. The problem is the intern was like really good, and he now like does a lot of front end engineering. So he's distracted with uh, <laughs> less shit posting. <laughs> Yeah, maybe 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 that. you can find like a new shitpost intern. Like they seem to do pretty well in like crypto. Dude, if if you know any, if any anyone's watching this and and would like to fill that role, would love to chat with them. Just DM us on the main account and we'll like get in touch. And um, Max, what's like? Uh, what can we expect from you? Because obviously, Cryptonary hasn't been uh, standing still. We uh, have made a lot of reports on derivatives. So, what can we expect from your side? We've had kind of a five-part report series on derivatives, kind of options, futures, all of that. We've got into deep dives now. So we've done one, as Stan mentioned at the start, on Dopex last week, which caught a bit of Twitter attention, which you can see in that report. Um, And we did one on Premier the week before that. And we've got the one on Friction, which will be coming out either sometime this week or over the weekend. And that's going to be a very comprehensive look into them and kind of try and get get everything that we've spoken about today and as much more as possible into one report. Yeah, very, very excited about that and make sure to check out like the reports Max wrote on derivatives as well because they also explain options in a pretty nice way, like the difference between perps and options. So I'll make sure to put all those reports down there as well. And yeah, I, I, f- I think that's it, guys. Like awesome. it was a great talk. I really appreciate you being here, Udav, and I really enjoyed like your um, takes on things and what Friction has been doing. It really seems to be going in the right direction, in my opinion. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This is awesome, and I think you guys do some some really fantastic research and focus on getting the right content out there. So I'm really happy to do a Twitter space or just hop on, hop on our Discord and, and chat with some of the users uh, one of these days. But we'll definitely see you guys there. Awesome. Awesome. It was great to speak to you. But of course, it's not financial advice.